Hello everyone, welcome to In The Field. We've been away on a season break, but we've been working on new projects. A very special mini-series will drop soon, and season three will release later this year. But right now, we wanted to talk about the COVID-19 crisis that has disrupted life everywhere. It has several implications for the future of development sector work in India, and over the past couple of months, we've been speaking to our old friends and colleagues about what they've been experiencing. We have more questions than answers, but here are a few things we wanted to share. Soon after the lockdown began, we spoke to Ganesh Nakhwa. This was in early April. If you have heard our third episode from our last series, you will recognize him. Ganesh belongs to the Karanja Fishing Cooperative Society in Mumbai. He has been continuously reporting on what the lockdown has done to fisher workers. Images of empty docks and images of thousands of tons of fish and catch being thrown back into the sea. Even before the pandemic, Ganesh has been vocal about how the fishing sector is changing for the worse, as large commercial fishing operations overfish and cut out the small fisher worker and clean out the marine ecosystem. When I was saying that India catches uh, 38 lakh metric tons of fish and the March is gone, April is gone, May is gone. So you are removing three months of fish, that's 10 lakh tons. Though India was exporting uh, 70 or 80% of it, so 30% we still we going to need 3 lakh tons of fish for coming months. And it's going to get piled up. The government, the administration, the police authority, the fisheries ministers and all stakeholders who are related to fishing industry, they have to come together. The problem is there. But unless and until you don't find solution for all of this, people are going to suffer. You will have to start ways for social distancing and socio-economic business together. Or else it's going to be difficult just sitting at one home. It's gonna happen like that because we are people of 130 crore uh, citizens and it's not going to be easy to be there at home for a really, really long time. The fish markets cannot be in a 100 by 100 area now. You need 1000 by 1000 area to do the fishing business now. And that too, it has to be a community-based uh, markets now. So if I want to sell 100 boats of fish from my fishing village, I cannot crowd 100 boats of fish in one location right now. It's just not going to work in next six months or something like that. So if you want to start and you keep a food supply available for the fishermen, we will have to seal the boundaries of a taluka at least or a village at least and let the people come in, keep their social distancing and buy fish. That's possible. If you open more public spaces, which are large in number, which are big places like, and then, you know, five fishermen can go into one ground, other than five fishermen with their boat catch can go at the other ground, like the vegetable vendors are doing. I think this is a time for not only the fish industry, but everybody to think about it. If you want to go on a longer term, what needs to be changed? I think 90% of the people still don't understand what is social distancing here. Imagine the fishermen who are staying into the sea for 10 days to catch that amount of fish and he had to throw that in few that same amount of fish in few hours because there was nobody buying it there was no transport to allow that fish to go to states like goa kerala or gujarat there were no fish thousands of fish markets in city like mumbai who buy, who buy fish every day they were not buying it I, if i can struggle who has three fishing boats or big boats where i employ 60 people i'm just worried about the people who have smaller boats and who have like, I, I don't know what is going to happen. Unless, unless, unless we innovate. It's just that consumer has to understand that the food has to come and he has to practice social distancing. 
and the sooner the better or else or else we are in a bigger mess so i think shorter projects have to come up the smaller projects have to come up you know abhi sab bhul jao ki production badhana hai blue revolution lana hai exports badhana hai currency strong karna hai no survival ka baat hai abhi let let people survive first i think yahi hona chahiye and in every industry it has to be like that now that self sufficient sabko banna chahiye abhi or it's a very difficult time Marian Manuel is from the Dakshin Foundation, an organization that works exclusively on coastal ecosystems. We spoke to Marian about how organizations are working together at this time to help fisher worker communities who've been affected by the virus. We began getting calls about migrant fish workers stranded in different uh, in different harbors, most of them crew members who worked on mechanized vessels. We were also hearing from our organizational partners in these areas that um, many people weren't getting the benefits of of government schemes um, to help the poor for various reasons. Fisheries as as a sector has always been overshadowed by agriculture. So it's the, it was the Ministry of Agriculture that was also responsible for fisheries, and it's only in 2019 May that there was a Ministry of Fisheries and it's still a Ministry of Fisheries animal husbandry and dairying so there is still no exclusive central ministry that's focused on fisheries either in terms of ensuring its long term sustainability but also to understand the nuances of the sector and the diversity that exists within the sector so there is definitely a very very slim safety net right now um around the section of the fisheries sector that depends on daily wages these aren't cash rich communities they don't have a lot of savings and so the need again to invest in their ability to to earn an income and to save um would be critical so women play a very important role in fisheries in post harvest specifically and so in this conversation that we are having now about the need to maintain a physical distance from each other um and the fact that fish markets tend to be crowded spaces we see a lot of governments and a lot of solutions also coming forward that are focused on either centralization of of the of sales by the government so the government goes and buys the fish from the fishers and sells it through their um outlets or even a third in online retailing and and both of these things essentially removes women from the equation and we actually don't fully understand the linkages between poverty and fisheries uh fish workers across across the the supply chain the level of indebtedness the level of dependence on money lenders all of these things are are things that that we don't no there is no database on migrant fish workers that one can depend on in times like these to identify these groups um who may be stranded so dakshin works on coastal and marine resource management issues across the country so we've been working across different coastal states in india as well as on uh, in the islands lakshadweep and in the andaman islands and because we've been doing this work um for so many years we have relationships with our uh, communities in these places grassroots organizations and fisher unions um in our in our sites of engagement uh so when the lockdown went into effect we reached out to to this network um to figure out uh what the situation on the ground was and if there was any support that we could offer uh there's an open petition that went out 
signed by over 100 individuals from different organizations that work with Indian fisheries, uh, talking about the situation and suggesting some short-term measures that the government could do during this lockdown. We're asking for the larger public to come together to raise the funds to support to support these groups. And the idea is that this would also then buy people time to really get the government machinery going on addressing all of the people who are falling through the cracks of existing government schemes. Divya Barma works for the Ajivika Bureau, an organization that works with migrant labor in India. When the lockdown stranded migrant labor across the country, Ajivika began receiving a huge number of calls from them, calls for help. When we spoke to Divya a couple of weeks ago, Ajivika was assisting migrants from all over India as part of a wider network of organizations across the country. They were helping migrants find food and shelter and protection. Uh, the magnitude of this issue is really, really staggering. It's about 139 million is the estimated uh, number of people who are moving. Uh, so that's the uh, kind of labor migrants in the informal uh, workforce that we're talking about. So this is a workforce that is mostly employed um, formal sector jobs, which means that there are no written contracts. There is no way to hold the employer accountable for any of the terms of work. Uh, and they are uh, disproportionately represented. Communities who have been marginalized historically, kind of vulnerable women. Uh, there's a lot of trafficking of adolescent girls and children that happen into this workforce. It's quite uh, uh, overrepresented by the by like the historically kind of uh, marginalized uh, populations. Uh, so that so so migration really compounds the kind of vulnerabilities that that these uh, people were already facing. So our relief, emergency response kind of measures were mostly about basic grocery supplies. Then in cases where they did not have shelter or they were kicked out of their work sites or many, uh, then we were trying to link them up to the uh, to the city shelter homes, uh, then homeless shelters that are run by the government. The kind of police brutality that was being meted out to them was also on the rise. We started also getting a lot of calls of harassment, um, which workers were uh, kind of beaten up or uh, they, they were not allowed to uh, move out of their areas. Then we also have a also part of a network called the Working People's Charter. It's a network of organizations working with workers, with informal sector workers. It's a network of trade unions, um, labor organizations, social activists who work specifically with um, kind of workers in the informal sector. It's not a formal uh, a registered kind of a body, but it's 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 more like a loose a collection of organizations that work in solidarity with each other. And so the idea is that we put forth a shared set of demands, a shared set of resources that can be leveraged by um, by other organizations the country working on similar issues. For example, we work in cities of Surat, Ahmedabad and Bombay and whenever any issues um, sort of come to us uh, from say people stranded in Bangalore or Kerala or Pune, then we reach out to our partner organizations, these cities and, 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 and they sort of then take it up. Of course, the distress that we go through is nothing when compared to the uh, devastation that the communities we were working with are going through, uh, but still it's very distressing to be to be talking to workers. So, for example, the people who are manning our labor line, um, which is our labor helpline. So, so day in and day out, they are uh, kind of listening to, to to stories of hunger, desperation, people requesting food, people saying that we are going hungry. So, so these are not easy stories to listen to. So, I think I think one of the things that we did was to rotate the staff uh, on these helplines. Uh, uh, and a kind of um, um, uh, two days at a time is when uh, I think one staff member was handling calls. 
starting the neighborhood and making sure you that, that the people you know around you who are employed in these high risk jobs or whose livelihoods are at risk um, uh, that they are taken care of they are protected and of course contributing to some of these fundraisers in individual capacities so while the situation has somewhat changed since we spoke to her hundreds and thousands of migrants are still trying to go home and the overwhelming majority are still facing brutality still trying to navigate the bureaucracy and are still hungry and stuck in limbo without money or protection. The pandemic has raised a huge number of challenges for civil society organizations at this time. Organizations have been working in overdrive to respond to the urgency of the crisis, but at the same time they've been dealing with many things, adjusting to new work environments, dealing with limitations on how and where they can operate, dealing with stress and the uncertainty of funding for future projects. CV Madhukar works with the Omidyar network and we reached out to him because we wanted to understand how philanthropies and funding organizations are working at this time. How do they see their roles right now? And how are they attempting to support NGO missions and workers in the social sector? My sense is this episode of disease that we're going through in the country has sensitized a lot of people to a bunch of things that they might not have otherwise thought about seriously enough uh, i think in the short term there's just a lot of focus on leveraging the grassroots connections that the philanthropic sector has um to reach uh, some kind of aid to people in need certainly we are doubling down to help our portfolio organizations to say how can we provide any counseling advice uh, to each of our portfolio organizations and what else they could do uh, by leveraging each other's strengths um, that's that's uh, already underway one of the things that omidya network india did was the rapid response grant was announced for a million dollars so far about 4 and 1/2 crore rupees has been committed to various organizations this is clearly a small amount of money compared to the crisis we are in but what we are hoping is our funding is catalytic to do something that can uh, garner more resources and do more work so far i think a lot of the f- energy has been focused on end beneficiaries and not the intermediaries in this case and my sense is rightly or wrongly that might be the case for the foreseeable few weeks the uh, challenge of supporting the philanthropic sector is something that many organizations are thinking more broadly even before the pandemic and one of the examples of that although it won't solve the problem for everyone is a social stock exchange idea that the government has come up with and and i'm sure a number of philanthropists in the country are thinking about other ways in which non-profits can be supported in a more sustainable manner having said that you know it there is a natural uh process by which some non-profits become more valuable and sustain themselves over time some non-profits despite doing good work are unable to attract capital and that is the nature of any entrepreneurial activity whether for profit or non-profit but i think the focus on sustaining non-profits will continue once the serious episode right now abates a little bit 
in the coming weeks, I hope. My own hunch is that we will see a greater focus on philanthropy and what philanthropy can and should do in the coming months. At least this is a medium-term possibility, and I say medium-term for the next 12 to 24 months, where um, philanthropy might get more resources from both companies and individuals. It's, it's too early to tell. Uh, we are still definitely not out of the woods. And so we'll have to wait and see how this pans out. This is also a time that we're all being pushed out of our comfort zones. And so I think as the situation on the ground unfolds, I think we should all allow ourselves a little bit more flexibility in how we do things and, and what we do and extend ourselves to the extent we can because these are extraordinary times. These past few months, we've seen a tremendous outpouring of support from civil society and non-governmental organizations. Groups across the country have formed, connecting organizations, volunteers, frontline workers, and invisible helpers to people who need assistance. And we want to acknowledge that this is not insignificant, and you cannot be but moved and proud of what so many well-intentioned citizens are doing. One of the reasons why we make In the Field is to show people a side of the development sector that is not always visible to the outside. Part of this is to pull back the curtain on the daily grind, the workday. This lockdown has taken its toll on everybody who works in the space, many who have been on call night and day. And we're seeing a personal toll. The work can seem never-ending and needs you to put down your own personal concerns and head to work. And it can feel all-consuming. Many of the people we spoke to were uncomfortable talking about how these two months have affected them. But we want to, because it is important. When the development sector is exhausted, it is vulnerable. For the development sector, things are going to change. And we're worried about some of these things. Technology is going to change the way we work, that's for sure. And we have to get on board the technology bandwagon because it's not going to go away. But how we manage it is up to us. How will these few months affect funding priorities in the sector? How do we ensure we can continue to work on issues that we believe in? What will get lost on the way? And how do we protect the frontline workers who work and will continue to work the last mile? How do we protect civil liberties at a time when rights and entitlements are being taken away? The other reason why we make In the Field is to share stories of the incredible diversity of India's civil society, its Samaj. The Samaj that reflects the widest set of belief systems that we in India have and can speak freely about. It's the tension between these views that creates change, and this is what moves us forward. And it's because of our democracy, the processes that protect and allow these views to be counted, that such diversity exists. This is why right now we want to hear from you. The coronavirus pandemic has triggered so many conversations about citizenship, about the state and the social contract. But we want to hear about the work you've been doing these past few months. And more specifically, we want to know about the processes by which you are making decisions now and participating in this moment. Do you feel like your voice is being represented? Do you want a new way to be heard? How are you making plans? 
How are you sharing resources? And most of all, we want to hear your observations about whose voices are being counted and who is being left out. Thanks for listening. I'm Radhika Vishwanathan. And I'm Samyukta Varma. Before we leave, a quick message. If you would like to support our Jeevika Bureau and Dakshin Foundation, please head to our show notes where you will find links to their latest research, activities and campaigns. In the Field is a production of Vaka Media and is supported by Rohini Nilekiri Philanthropies. Theme song by Hollis Coates. Mixing, mastering and sound by Ovik D'Souza. Write to us at podcast at inthefieldindia.org or catch us on social media where we're at In the Field India. <laughs>